0: Hello, welcome back. Sports Gamble Ramble episode 86. Today we are breaking down the Arizona Cardinals. This is a team that definitely gave us a lot to talk about this offseason. Obviously, a lot of headlines with the whole Kyler Murray drama. Um, We saw him finally get his contract extension a few weeks ago. Obviously, a lot of stories and a lot of things to talk about with that. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury also getting his extension this offseason. So that's kind of the main headline. You know, this Cardinals team kind of going all in last offseason with some big uh, veteran acquisitions, J.J. Watt, A.J. Green. Um, got off to a really hot start. Uh, didn't really work out. This team actually started out seven and zero last year and uh, only managed to win eleven games, going four and six over the back half of the season. Uh, really interesting. Like I said, you know, before we get into the full breakdown, new contracts this offseason for Kyler and Kingsbury. Um, It's interesting. Kingsbury is uh, tied to the team through 2027 and Kyler through 2028. Kyler's deal five years, $230.5 million, a $29 million signing bonus, 160 mil guaranteed. His annual salary is the highest ever in NFL history, 46.1 mil per year. That point one, just so that he could one-up Deshaun Watson, it's some of the pettiness that I've mentioned on previous episodes with these quarterbacks. And with really any player up for a new contract wanting to be a record-breaker for every new deal, um, sometimes you just got to realize your value and you know, not let your ego get involved. There's a lot of ego in this whole contract situation with Kyler. Obviously, we know what's getting the headlines here with the contract is the whole incentive about watching film. Um, big story recently, the internet really uh, took, took this and uh, had a good time with it. Um <clears throat> Kyler Murray re- uh, required to do 4 hours minimum of film study each week first time ever in a contract there was a uh, contingency on film study for a quarterback uh the Cardinals got a terrible reaction to this Kyler seemed publicly upset about it or at least that was the PR move that he decided to go with and the Cardinals actually um like rescinded that clause so it's no longer in the contract I will say, you know, like I said, the internet really had some fun with this. I was able to find some interesting stats. Some people really dove into the numbers. Obviously, the whole deal is that Kyler is this big video game player. He's, I think, sponsored on like a, a, fe- a official like eGames team. I don't know. I don't dive too deep into that world. Um, but somebody went and put together a correlation of Kyler Murray's stats uh, pre and post the annual release date of Call of Duty. Uh, typically coming out, I think, in November. Again, I'm not really a COD guy, but uh, the numbers, <clears throat> I thought were at least funny. You know, we can't necessarily call this an exact science, but it's, it's worth mentioning. Uh, his average fantasy points per game prior to the annual Call of Duty release is 22.5. After the Call of Duty release, it goes down to 17.4 points per game. It's a 22.7% decrease in fantasy production. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that later in the year we see Kyler, you know, pretty consistently struggle with injuries. Specifically, it's usually a lower body injury uh, this past season, uh, dealing with, I believe, a high ankle sprain, um, missing a couple games towards the end of the year. And that's just going to, you know, whenever you're dealing with nagging injuries throughout the season, um, a guy like Kyler, especially with a lower body injury, who, uh, you know, he relies on his legs and his rushing ability. Um, mainly, you know, again, fantasy related, the rushing ability gives these quarterbacks such value where I think that could explain part of it, but let's also talk about how maybe he's just, you know, taking advantage of those double XP weekends, right? It is, it is possible. It's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, a lot of question marks with this team, some drama, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he got a contract extension this off season, but to be honest, I mean, it really surprises me because I, I was trying to look at maybe taking Kingsbury for first coach fired this year. I really think that there's a, there's a realistic path for this Cardinals team to take a step backwards from last season. I mean, I mentioned they started out 7-0, and 8-1 on the season, but really fell apart over the second half and just showed no fight at all in that playoff loss to the Rams in wildcard weekend. And I see this team on paper not being as good as they were last year. We'll talk about the personnel losses. And then you take into consideration the, the distraction and the offseason drama of the contract disputes with the quarterback. I, I think that there's a lot of kind of va- bad vibes around this team. Again, I mentioned they kind of went all in last offseason. And it seems like the momentum from that big free agency spending spree is kind of fizzled out on this team especially with the Rams and the 49ers in that division. I'll always believe in those two teams to be able to win games. So it's interesting. You know, let's dive into it here. Um, Arizona Cardinals last year, 11-6, second in their division, fifth seed in the NFC. Just doesn't really seem like that, right, because they kind of just crawled their way into the playoffs over the last uh, few weeks of the season. You know I mentioned four and six over their last 10 games. That includes losses to really struggling teams like the uh, the Panthers with Cam Newton and the Detroit Lions gotten upset in there as well. So this was a team really playing down to the levels of their competition over those uh, last eight weeks of the season or so. Um, again, I mentioned playoffs, uh, one game, one and done, loss at the Rams 34 to 11 in wild Card weekend where Kyler Murray was basically just serving up free touchdowns to the defense. That game was over before it started. Uh, Regular season last year, offense, 11th in points per game, 26.4. Eighth in yards per game, 373.6. Defense tied for ninth in points per game, 21.5. 11th in yards per game, 329. 2.2 Point two turnover margin, fourth best plus 12 turnover margin. So maybe that accounts for especially some of the early season success. I know that defense was ball hawking quite a bit. And Kyler Murray, if you guys remember as well, you know, on that 7-0 run, Kyler was being talked about as maybe the front runner for MVP. This team was really humming. Um, it's just a matter of if they can kind of uh, repeat that. I mean, getting off to a 7-0 and start, not easy. Their schedule is harder this year. We'll break it all down. Um, but I have my doubts, uh, if you guys can't tell. Coaching staff is all returning, like I said. Again, really surprising. Cliff Kingsbury tied for the ninth favorite to be the first Coast Coach fired at plus 1200. And if he didn't get that extension, I think he would be a top five, maybe top two or three candidate. And I would absolutely be trying to grab that because, again, with all the drama coming into this season and a difficult schedule, if they don't get off to a decent start, Kyler seems like a bit of a front runner to me so far in his career. He hasn't really showed the mental toughness to be able to overcome adversity or. You Know keep this team fighting at any sort of um, you know, bump in the road or any sort of again adversity for lack of a better term. Um, this team again, I don't think they had a good offseason personnel wise, they had some pretty substantial losses here. Their first five names that I'll mention here, all contributing players to this team that have uh since left this offseason. Uh, defensive end Chandler Jones is a massive loss to me. One of the things that really gave this team the potential and the upside to to make a run was the fact that they had on paper one of the more dominant pass rushing duos in recent memory of Chandler Jones and JJ Watt. JJ unfortunately not healthy the entire season last year and Chandler Jones signing an extension or signing a deal with the Raiders this offseason. I mean That's a pass rush duo you can't count on anymore, and I think that's a huge hit to this defense because, honestly, that was the only thing on this defense that got me excited last year. Those two players, um, Isaiah Simmons, linebacker in his second year, made an improvement, and Buda Baker's a stud safety. But outside of that, the defense really looks bad to me on paper. Like, not just a little bad. They could be very bad. Um so Chandler Jones, big loss on that defense. Also defensive end, Jordan Phillips and linebacker Jordan Hicks. I think big losses as well. Hicks, I think the idea is that Zaven Collins first round pick from 2020 hopefully elevates his game and takes a second year leap similar to the um, you know, improvement that Isaiah Simmons saw last year going into his second year as a former first-round pick. But Zaven Collins and Isaiah Simmons, two um, back-to-back first-round picks at the linebacker position that this team is really going to desperately need them both to play like first-round picks in order to keep this defense afloat. I think the secondary is one of the worst in the leagues in the league when you consider the talent and the names at the corner position. Byron Murphy, second or third year corner. Don't remember which player that's shown a decent ability to jump uh, routes and come up with some interceptions but i think inconsistent in coverage and he's their best corner everybody else you've never heard of i really haven't heard of Uh, marco wilson is the other uh, starting corner and then they've got guys like uh, jc whitaker antonio hamilton christian matthew and breon borders let me know if you guys know anything about these guys and if i'm sleeping on anyone But there's no depth here at all. Strong safety is Jalen Thompson, not a guy I'm too familiar with either. Sorry if I'm being lazy with my research. But again, Buda Baker and J.J. Watt and then Isaiah Simmons, really the only guys that have me interested at all on that defense. There's a lot of opportunity and a lot of uh, liability here for that defense to possibly be not just mediocre but bad, in my opinion. Okay, let's get back to the personnel. Who else did they lose on the offensive side of the ball? Running back Chase Edmonds I mentioned on our Dolphins breakdown. Um, I think that's a decent loss for this team in terms of uh, him being, you know, really kind of the perfect pass-catching running back to complement James Connor. And then wide receiver Christian Kirk, who was low-key this team's leading receiver last year um, with DeAndre Hopkins only playing 10 games last season. Zach Ertz um, only playing 11 for this team coming over at week six at the, uh, you know, a little bit before the trade deadline and AJ green just being like 57 years old and just should have retired three years ago. Uh, Yeah. Christian Kirk, Only one who played a full 17-game season in the receiving core. Uh, Ended up uh, 18 yards shy of 1,000 last year, which was his best uh, receiving campaign in the NFL, five touchdowns. And then he went and got paid $20 million annually by the Jags. Uh, They're calling it the Jacks tax because you have to overpay to get players down there. Nobody wants to go... Uh, sign their big uh, opportunity as a free agent contract with the Jaguars unless they're going to pay you, what, like $7 million above your market value. It's actually part of the domino effect we've seen at the wide receiver position in terms of market value this offseason. We've seen a lot of these top-tier receivers go from getting paid anywheres of $17, $18 million to now we're in the $25 million ballpark because they say, hey, Christian Kirk's never had a 1,000-yard season, and he's getting 20 million a year, so you better give me the whole fucking vault. Uh, Jag's, Jag's probably not seeing a whole lot of love from the other 31 owners in that, uh, that um, team, team uh, leaders meeting, team owners meeting. Um, maybe the only guy hated more Jimmy Haslam in, in Cleveland right now for giving D Watt uh, two thirty guaranteed. Weird time in the NFL. Tight end Daryl Daniels is the last guy I'll mention here as their losses. But I just between Kirk Jones, Edmonds, Hicks, and Phillips, those are five guys that I think they're going to miss this year. Um, also, DeAndre Hopkins suspended the first six games of the season for PED violation. That's substantial. Um, One of the moves that they made to combat that suspension being without their best receiver for the first six games of the year was they traded in the draft for wide receiver Marquise Hollywood Brown of the Baltimore Ravens. He is the former teammate of Kyler Murray from the University of Oklahoma. We need to pay attention to that. I thought it was a fantastic move. I really did. Um, He's the first key addition that we'll talk about here. The trade was Hollywood Brown and a third rounder in this past draft for pick 23 overall so the um excuse me the cards get a receiver that was taken i think 18th overall by the ravens three years ago uh, and a third rounder for the 23rd overall pick in this draft and they clearly had a desperate need at wide receiver, this came out I think a little bit before the news of DeAndre Hopkins suspension. But if you look at it, it makes sense. They lost Christian Kirk, and they're going to be without Hopkins. So Hollywood will step in and be the primary target in this passing game right away from week one. I think the the uh, chemistry that he has built in from that playing time in college with Kyler will show up right away. I really do. Hollywood's a guy I'm interested in fantasy this year. We'll talk about it more. Over the second half of this season, but he is a guy that I think can still um, even uh, like take his game to the next level even more, especially in a wide open air raid offense like this, as opposed to that run heavy. You know that was not the right offense for Hollywood's skill set in Baltimore. So it's going to be interesting this year. Who else did they bring in in free agency? Running back Daryl Williams is going to uh, take over that kind of RB two. Chase Edmonds, maybe some pass catching, maybe some pass protection, third down work. I think James Conner still dominates the goal line work and most of the first and second down work in this offense. But Williams is a guy that low key had a pretty good season last year with the Chiefs. He was always kind of buried on the Chiefs' depth chart, and they were always kind of giving guys like Clyde Edwards alaire and some other random names, Damian Williams, opportunities over this guy. But he's just really been pretty solid every time the Chiefs have put him on the field. So he gets a little bit of a pay bump and comes over here to Arizona. Um, Interesting, you know, not a name that you're really intimidated by to be vulturing too many touches from James Conner this year. But I think from a football real-life standpoint, it's probably a decent fill for that, um, that missing role left by Chase Edmonds. <clears throat> Linebacker Nick Vigil also got signed to this team, uh, I guess, to replace the depth of Jordan Hicks. Hicks, a far better player in my opinion. Tight end Steven Anderson was signed. Offensive guard Will Hernandez, a guy I liked in the draft four years ago but didn't do much with the Giants. Linebacker Ben Neiman also to round out the off additions. Not many big names there aside from the trade for Hollywood. So, again, kind of a lackluster free agency period. Not overly impressed. They re-signed a couple guys. Not many that you've heard of outside of A.J. Green. You know, I kind of alluded to my thoughts earlier. A.J. Green's a fucking corpse running routes out there. I just don't get why this team continues to burn money on him. They gave him $10 million last year to just fucking suck at football, and now he's back on the team. You shouldn't be, you know, you have a couple receivers on this roster, guys like Rondell Moore and Antoine Wesley, even Andy Isabella, who I guess hasn't shown much, but they seem to have given up on him pretty fucking easily and pretty quickly as well. Um, Guys that I think would just benefit so much more and can do more for your offense than an aged decrepit AJ Green I've just I've hated AJ Green for the last four years because people still try to buy in on him maybe being a fantasy value maybe being relevant he was a great player in his prime but he has not done shit again literally four years so why are we continuing to talk about him I don't know let's move on Linebacker Ezekiel Turner, punter Andy Lee, long snapper Aaron Brewer, and safety Charles Washington round out the guys that got extended this offseason. Um, aside from obviously, you know, the Kyler extension things we talked about, they also brought back Zach Ertz, uh, which I failed to write down here. Um, but they did. Zach Ertz, they traded for week six last season, like I said, following the Eagles' Thursday night game against the Buccaneers. And uh, they managed to bring him back. <clears throat> I don't remember what the deal is, but he's there, I think, maybe two more years at least on paper. Um, and he actually played really well in this offense. You know, he came over and filled a void. You know, I mentioned DeAndre Hopkins only played 10 games last year, and Earths really benefited from that, uh, um, that open uh, vacated target share um, over the second half of the season. Um, speaking of the tight end position, let's dive into the draft. My segues are fucking on point this episode. Um, round two, their first pick in the draft since they traded away that round one for Hollywood. Um, they took a tight end out of Colorado State, Trey McBride. He was the first drafted tight end in this draft. That's usually a good sign. Typically, if you're the number one guy taken at the tight end position, like usually those guys don't really bust out um typically when you see a guy that's being invested in and and kind of looked at as the consensus like this is the guy in this draft um yeah it's usually a pretty good sign uh we could go through names if we want we don't really have to right now Trey McBride is a guy that has the benefit of Ertz being a very good veteran starter there but on a short-term deal and at the end of his career most likely Where Trey McBride, say next year, possibly year three of his career, could be like it could be a great transition, perfect, seamless transition to kind of take over that leading role. That's usually how I project rookie tight ends. Rookie tight ends, the tight end position is probably the one that we see the slowest transition from college to the NFL, because if you think about it, these guys have to learn the entire playbook, basically like they're a wide receiver and an offensive lineman. They're involved in every run scheme, they're involved in pass protection, and they're involved in the route running concepts and receiving games. So... It usually takes a tight end a year or two to really get his feet under him in the NFL, and I think it's a good situation considering, like I said, they have two veterans there of Zach Ertz and Max Williams, where they don't need to rush Trey McBride into a starting role right away. Also in the draft, round three defensive end Cameron Thomas out of San Diego State University. Round three, their second round or their second pick of that round, they took defensive end Majai Sanders out of Cincinnati. Um, Maybe Majai, it's M Y J A I. That's kind of a you know your guess is as good as mine. And then round six, uh, running back Keontae Ingram out of USC. Just want to mention that um, because running backs. I don't usually cover sixth-round picks, but running backs can kind of come from anywhere in the draft, and it wouldn't be the craziest thing. I mean, Daryl Williams is not like the most locked-in guy on the depth chart behind Connor. They did sign him, but you know, it's not a huge financial commitment, and I think that there's possibility for either Eno Benjamin or Keontae Ingram if they want to try to. If they really impress, maybe they could get themselves into a smaller. Uh, minority snap count role in this offense, just saying, especially James Conner, as much as I hate to say it, has had injury problems in the past. We're not trying to wish that on him. He's actually my keeper in the ninth round of one of my fantasy drafts, and I'm really excited to have a running back with his touchdown upside so late in my draft. That's obviously great, Um, and I think he's probably a solid third-round pick in drafts non-keeper this year. But, again, you just got to play devil's advocate. He's been injured before and this running back room. Who knows? If Keontae shows out, if Eno shows out, some weird shit could happen here. So that's the draft recap, and let's keep it moving here. Their strength of schedule is ranked 24th out of 32 teams. It is a difficult schedule when I look at it. That division, no slouch. I mean, they finished second in the division last year. I anticipate the 49ers to be a good team this year. We'll talk about them on our next episode. I really don't think that they make the gamble and they make the investment in Trey Lance that they made for it to not work out. It reminds me a lot of the Mahomes situation in Kansas City. I'm not saying Trey Lance is going to throw 50 touchdowns this year. We'll dive into it more tomorrow, but what I'm saying is I project the Cardinals to be the third best team in their division with Seattle in a rebuild and the consistency and really strength of the, the Rams and the 49ers out there. So already they're, they're possibly facing four losses in the division, you know, if we just simplify our thinking here. And then the rest of the schedule, um, <clears throat> we'll just skip the preseason right now. They have the Chiefs week one. That's not an easy start. So they have to play the AFC West as well this year, which, you know, they have the NFC West twice and the AFC West on their schedule. That's tough. So let's keep it moving. Chiefs, Raiders, Rams, Panthers. That first month, Chiefs, Raiders, Rams, that's probably the toughest three-week beginning schedule maybe out of anybody. And so, yeah, then we go Panthers, Eagles, Seahawks, Saints. That stretch not terrible. I think the Eagles are better, but it is a home game for Arizona so that's interesting. Um, like I said, Saints, Vikings, Seahawks again, Rams, 49ers, and then this ending stretch is really, really difficult. Sorry, guys, I accidentally clicked off of their schedule. Let me buy some time. Here we go. So they end the season, like I said, Rams, 49ers, Chargers, Patriots, Broncos, Bucks, Falcons, 49ers. So over those last eight weeks, that might be one win against Atlanta in week 17. Outside of that, like I said, last two months of their season, Rams, 49ers, Chargers, Patriots, Broncos, Bucks, Falcons, 49ers, that's difficult. I also don't think they benefit from getting the 49ers twice over the last eight weeks. I've mentioned on previous episodes, I think there's a potential possibility for the 49ers to really become a much more uh, well-oiled machine over the second half of the season as they kind of work through maybe some of the chemistry and the offensive transition under Trey Lance. There's a possibility, we're not guaranteeing this or anything on this show, but there's a possibility that Trey Lance grows over the course of the season as opposed to just coming in and dominating all the way or stinking all the way. You know, it makes sense. So, I just see that it may be an advantage for certain teams to get the 49ers maybe in that first month as opposed to when they're kind of on that that playoff stretch, right? So, again, difficult schedule, 24th ranked, not an easy division. The win total, when I wrote my odds down, In the middle of July was at nine and a half over plus one forty five under minus one seventy. So that minus one seventy at nine and a half. That's a lot of juice. You don't see many win totals really going. I don't really see, I don't think any of them go to 200 or so. I really think what I, the steepest you'll see on a win total is maybe 180 or so typically. And then everything else, I mean, you're usually at that point, you're shifting at a half game or so, right? So that juice was already at minus 170. The odds have actually shifted. We're recording this on August 12th. It is a Friday afternoon. And the odds currently, like I said, went from nine and a half with the under minus 170 to now eight and a half. They've dropped at an entire game over the last month. That said, the odds are now over minus 110, under minus 110. But the fact that that under was juiced so heavily and has continued to bet down an entire game shows I think that the market at this point is kind of aligning with my thoughts where maybe the fact of the difficult schedule and a lot of distractions mentally in the front office and in the the Twitter sphere this offseason along with really not a great free agency period and the fact that they didn't have a first-round pick hopkins on a suspension i will lean towards the under here i think that that move of bumping down a full game over just a month here and especially this time of year this is where the futures market is going to be the most active and the moves are going to be the highest indicators i've alluded to this but joe Schmo, you know john public whatever you want to call him is not betting shit right now like we are still i don't know how many days we are maybe less than 30 at this point but we're like 27 days four weeks away from the season still and, like, the public's not betting preseason games. They're not betting futures right now. Any sort of juice or activity on line movement this offseason, this time of year, is really being done by the sharp professional markets. So I am much more likely to follow the cash and follow the line movement this time of year. I think jumping down an entire game indicates what I'm feeling here. The Cardinals are not going to win 11 games again this year. They're not going to start 7-0. and and their schedule over the second half just gets more and more difficult. Again, you know, their hardest games are post the Call of Duty release. That's not going to be good for this team. You know, it's low-hanging fruit. We could make that joke all episode. But it's, it's a fun one to make, right? So the divisional odds have also shifted over the last month. This team has dropped from plus 300 to plus 350 to win their division. I think that's an indication of the the market really becoming more aggressive and more confident in the 49ers. I I really can't wait to do the 49ers episode tomorrow, but I'm excited to see what this team looks like with – Um, maybe not an upgrade right away in terms of on-field efficiency, but a massive upgrade in athletic talent and potential at that quarterback position in an offense that already knows how to function at a high level. So this Cards team, odds to win the conference and Super Bowl have not changed over the last month. They stay at plus 1,400 for the conference and plus 3,000 for the Super Bowl. And I don't see this team making the playoffs this year. I think that we have a couple teams in the rest of the NFC that missed out last year on the bubble that will be better than this Cardinals team. Specifically, I am a big fan of the Vikings and Saints to both compete in the NFC this year. Um, while they do have two of the better teams in the conference with the Packers and Bucks there in the divisions, um, after looking at their schedules, some of the personnel upgrades in the off seasons, they've had that new coaching staff with Minnesota. I think that there's just better vibes. It's kind of the Vikings specifically and the Cardinals right now to me are two teams in the NFC that have kind of just mirrored each other in, in, in terms of going two completely separate directions this offseason. I'm feeling good vibes in Minnesota. I'm feeling bad vibes in Arizona. And that's kind of, I feel like those two teams are just kind of correlated in the fact that maybe we see Arizona fall out of the playoff picture and teams like Minnesota and New Orleans come into it. I also think Philadelphia is going to be very good. Dallas, although I think Philly has the edge in that division, may still be competitive and be in that... Dallas will probably be in the wildcard picture unless everything fucking blows up, right? So I think that there's... There's just some other teams I like more in the NFC, and I don't like this schedule. So I won't be in on any of this. Their odds to make the playoffs are yes, minus 105, no, minus 150. And it's another thing where this team won 11 games last year, but now they're looking at an eight and a half win total. And I think that's that's kind of some of the reverse psychology shit that I look for in terms of... Like everything the sports books right now are saying this team will not be as good as last year, but the public kind of looks at it like, I don't know. They won 11 games last year, you know, winning nines, not that many, uh, this team, you know, started out seven and oh last year and, you know, was the fifth seed. They can make the playoffs this year. I'm just going the other way on it. I think I've been pretty clear about my thoughts here. This team, as we transition into our fantasy and our individual offensive kind of analysis in this segment, um, as much as I don't really see the wins coming for this team, there is um, some shit to talk about in terms of fantasy value. This offense has been one of the better ones in recent history. I mentioned, you know, 11th in points per game, eighth in yards per game. And that was after missing, you know, seven games from DeAndre Hopkins, three games from Kyler Murray. Uh, James Connor missed two games. Chase Edmonds missed five games. Um, so they had a lot of turnover you know they didn't have zach Ertz until week seven of the season and this team still put up some pretty good offense some pretty decent production um let's dive into it let's talk so kyler murray let's do honorable mentions sorry guys um some ambiguity and ambiguity here if i can talk um, at the skill positions, outside of the core pieces here, the receiving room is kind of a mess, and there's, in my opinion, a lot of vacated targets up for grabs as Hopkins faces his suspension and A.J. Uh, Green just becomes, uh, like, seven years older every offseason. The honorable mentions backup QB's Colt McCoy. Uh, running back, I mentioned Eno Benjamin and Keontae Ingram. Wide receivers, I'm going to give you guys data on four of them, although some of them we'll go through super quickly here, but the the receivers I'll talk about are Hopkins, Marquise Brown, A.J. Green, and Rondale Moore, second-year receiver. Honorable mentions that could come into, again, some opportunity if maybe A.J. Green decides to retire halfway through the season or injury um Antoine Wesley had a couple relevant games he had a two touchdown game against the Cowboys last year and wide receiver Andy Isabella I think he's a former second round pick who has struggled to impress but he's very fast and he's on the depth chart still and then tight end Trey McBride and tight end Max Williams I mentioned Max Williams actually off to a very good start last season although he tore his ACL week five that was when they decided to go and make the trade for Zach Ertz because hey um, we're six and zero, and our starting tight end just went down. We need somebody. It was a good timing considering the Eagles were most likely going to move on from Ertz, definitely this off season if they weren't able to make a trade last year. Just happens that way. Dallas Goddard was ready for some more snaps. So fantasy, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was really good for fantasy last year. It's not really surprising. He only played 10 games, um, but he finished excuse me. He played 14 games. But he finished the QB four in points per game. Um, he's being drafted 57th overall, QB six, after finish after being drafted QB three last year, 37 overall. He finished the QB 10 in 14 games. So again, QB four in points per game, but he's being drafted QB six this year. I think it's um, offensive that Joe Burrow is being drafted ahead of Kyler Murray. I've said it before. Burrow is being drafted too high. I'd rather have a guy with the rushing ability, rushing upside. Kyler has shown to be an elite-level fantasy QB in the past, and this offense is built to put up numbers. And I mentioned the defense, in my opinion, is going to be possibly just absolute garbage this year, which means they might have to be throwing more. Um, we could see some big stats from Kyler. I'm cool with taking him at kind of a discount. Like if you can get Kyler in the sixth round, like he's he hasn't been that cheap in in what three years. Um, and he puts up big numbers, QB four and points per game. I think it makes sense. I know that Hopkins is gone for the first six weeks. But Marquise Brown I've talked about, I think there's going to be a lot of just automatic chemistry there. And Marquise Brown is arguably one of the best deep threats in the entire NFL. I was really a big fan of what he was doing over the first half of the season last year in Baltimore. Um, so I don't see like the suspension for Hopkins really being like a, a deal breaker for Murray's fantasy value. He was a top-six QB, 42.9% of his games, fifth-highest top-six rate and he was a uh, top-12 QB 57% of the time, ninth-highest top-12 rate. It's a higher bust rate than you'd want finishing a QB 2 37% of the time and finishing outside of the top-24 in one game. But I mentioned he was dealing with some injuries last year. Um, he did have a, what was it, uh, October 28th, a uh, p- pedal ankle sprain, grade 2. That's what they're calling it. Not a doctor but again, he missed some time, and he even tried to play. You could see he was playing through injury where he just wasn't playing as well, and the rushing upside wasn't there. That's what happens when you're dealing with a lower body issue as a running quarterback. The really, the only thing is, can Kyler Murray stay healthy the whole season? And I'm not ready to label him injury-prone just because he has been kind of nicked up. He's pretty good at avoiding contact. Um, I'm pretty confident in him, actually. Like I don't really grab early QBs, but... If you can get a guy with that like top 4, top 3, I mean fuck, Kyler Murray has potential to be the QB1. Like there's not that many guys in the NFL that you can say there's a possibility to finish the number 1 overall fantasy QB. Kyler with the way that he is able to run and some of the like high passing volume he's going to have to sustain for this team, it's possible my only counter to that as we transitioned into the running backs boom another fucking awesome segue is that james connor gets so many rushing attempts inside the five yard line cliff kingsbury if we know one thing about him it's that when you get inside that 10 and 5 yard line he likes to run the ball right up the middle right at you it's all he does in the end zone or in the red zone really and it makes sense. James Conner had 15 rushing touchdowns for this team last year, and it propelled him to the RB5 finish in fantasy football. And while I want to say that 15 touchdowns on the ground is hard to sustain from year to year, it's just kind of built in as his role in this offense. We see, we've see we seen in years past when a guy just has an absolute lock on that goal line position. I mean, Touchdowns are one of those, like I said, unsustainable stats in fantasy, typically on a year-in-year-out basis, unless it's your job to score touchdowns, and that's kind of what James Conner's job is. I wanna I wanna compare it to the situation with Legarrette Blunt about five years ago in New Orleans, or in New England, where we just for two or three years Legarrette Blunt was averaging like fifteen rushing touchdowns a year. Because that's just what New England did when they got inside the five-yard line. It's LeGarrette blunt time. And that's what this Cardinals team does with James Conner. When you take into account Chase Edmonds is also not here, and Conner could see an even expanded uh, running back workhorse-type role. If he can stay healthy to sustain it, I think he's got a lot of upside being drafted in the third round this year. RB 16 overall as finishing RB 5 last year. Um, his draft position last year being written off as an injury risk and you know being just there in Arizona on a short-term deal people kind of thought he was dead in the water ninth round running back 34 overall if you drafted James Conner in the ninth round last year he could have won your league with 15 rushing touchdowns he played 15 games last year so again Injury risk has always been a thing with Connor, but he was able to stay healthy last year and cash in on it. And he was the RB9 in points per game. So again, like being drafted as RB16 this year, all his metrics increased that. And I don't see Daryl Williams really being a guy that again is a threat to take away that goal line work or really much of his rushing volume in general. So there are some difficult schedules for this Cardinals team. I failed to mention Kyler has the second hardest schedule for fantasy QBs. I don't really care, to be honest. Like I said, I think the defense is bad, which increases the fantasy value of the quarterback. The offense will need to play catch up, um, in my opinion. And that's one of the things I was looking at when I took Pat Mahomes in 2018 as my QB in the 11th round was it was not so much that I knew Pat Mahomes was going to throw 50 touchdowns. It was more along the lines of he has tons of offensive weapons, not that strong of a run game. It's really more of a passing offense. And his defense was absolute dog shit, so he had to score. That's kind of what I see with Kyler this year. On a Again, I'm not optimistic about this defense in any way with the personnel. Um, so I mentioned James Connor, uh, let's talk his consistency, uh, 46% of his games, top 12, ninth highest, top 12 finish rate was RB two on the week, 20%. That's the 31st rate. So when you combine those top 24 finish in two thirds of his games, that was 13th ranked in the NFL, uh, 13th, most consistent top 24 running back low bust rate as well. RB3 20% of the time and only busted outside of the top 36, 13% of his games. So I like Connor. He's going third round this year, and if he stays healthy, I don't see a possibility where he doesn't return on that. And you can say if he stays healthy about literally any player in the NFL. So it's not really a thing where I'm like worried to draft him based on that. Daryl Williams I mentioned should be the second running back uh being drafted 172 overall RB60 this year so essentially a non-drafted player wasn't being drafted at all last year even further down the draft board at 198 overall managed to finish the RB20 last season um like I said kind of a surprise guy for fantasy just based on staying healthy all 17 weeks and being that goal line back in the Chiefs offense kind of cashed in on some touchdown efficiency last year Saw a handful of games where he was getting 18 20 carries, which again surprisingly, he but he's not going to get that kind of volume in this offense without Connor going down. He finished the RB 33 in points per game, so like I said, even though he finished RB 20 points per game 33, that's just a byproduct of staying healthy for a full season. Um, Daryl Williams uh, finished top 12 last year, 17.6 percent of his games. It's tied for 36 best. Uh, he was a RB2, 23.5 percent, 27th best. It put him into the top 24, 41 percent of the time, 32nd most consistent top 24 finish, and busted outside of the top 36, 41 percent of his games. He's in a new offense, new role. I mean, I'm just—I'm not interested. He's a handcuff. He's a guy you pick up on your waiver wire if James Connor gets hurt. Outside of that, I don't think he represents even close to the fantasy value that Chase Edmonds did in this offense. Because again, Edmonds—you knew his role was pretty, you know, clear-cut as a guy that was going to be involved in the passing game. Where you just don't really know that from Daryl Williams or any of these other guys. Um, yeah, let's talk receivers and tight ends. So. DeAndre Hopkins, six-game suspension that is making his ADP plummet. He's going 79th overall wide receiver 34 after going 16 overall wide receiver 4 last year. Not only does he have a suspension, but people have their concerns. Is he getting older? Did he kind of drop off last year? Was it the injury or was it that he's burnt out? Um, again, you know, only played 10 games last year, missing time with an injury, a lower body injury as well, which never helps as a receiver Uh, finished wide receiver 46 last year. So fantasy owners with a bad taste in their mouth currently about DeAndre Hopkins plus the suspension. There's a lot of question marks. I got to say, if you're willing to eat the first six weeks of the season, it could be a thing where you're very happy to have DeAndre Hopkins over the second half of the year. I don't think he's done from a talent standpoint or a physicality standpoint. I just think injuries happen sometimes. And I think after six weeks, he should be just fucking, he should have a chip on his shoulder this year, I would think. So I actually almost kind of think that we, I mean, yeah, you're sacrificing your first six weeks, but like I said, if you can get guys on your fantasy rosters to, to sustain you through that first uh, month and a half, Hopkins could be a, like a game changer over the second half. I'm trying to talk myself into pulling the trigger on that because it's something I never do. Like I've never been the guy to be like, oh yeah, I'll stash this guy on my roster for two months. Um, but again, if you can somehow get some early season depth, take some guys that you think will be for sure locked into a role in the first half of the season, and then maybe they have some opportunity to lose it over the second half, but they'll be safe early. I mentioned Aaron Jones is a guy that like, could possibly get off to a really hot start with the vacated passing targets in, the, in Green Bay and the fact that A.J. Dillon is really more of kind of a second-half cold-weather player, like that to me kind of makes sense, where you might get some of those higher boom weeks from Aaron Jones in the first month of the season, um, and that could kind of maybe make up for the fact that DeAndre Hopkins isn't giving you anything until week six. So I broke down his stats last year. Consistency-wise, he was a top 12 receiver 30% of the time. It was actually the 12th highest finish. Um, he was a wide receiver to 20% of the time, again, 10 games. So that's two games, you know, small sample size, but it was 22nd ranked. So he finished top 24 in half his games again, only five out of 10, but still, uh, top 24 receiver, 50% makes you the 11th most consistent top 24 receiver. So the guy was not just burnt toast last year. Just shit happens. Sometimes, um, injuries, like I said, uh, Busted outside of the top 36, 40% of the time. Again, like he had one or two games where he only played a few snaps and then got taken out. That's going to ruin his consistency rankings. And um, I'm just not really worried about it. I think the only question really is, can you bite the first six weeks? I'm not worried about the talent drop off. Um, I think Marquise Brown being in this offense uh, potentially opens things up for Hopkins, actually. That's a real dynamic one-two punch at receiver. I've mentioned I'm in on Hollywood Brown. Um, he's being drafted sixth round this year, wide receiver 23. And this guy's had in the past stretches, um, of like top 15, top 10, even top five upside in fantasy, just very inconsistently throughout his, his time. Uh, he had a real stretch between the second half of 2020 and the first half of 2021, he had like a 12 game sample size of like wide receiver six in fantasy. He was scoring a bunch of deep bombs. And I had him on my fantasy team last year. And I got to say, again, until things dropped off a cliff over the second half of the season, no more Lamar, you know, that offense just kind of really looking a lot different. Um, Hollywood was crushing it for me. Um, the consistency metrics, again, will prove that it was boomer bust but it was more so where the second half of the season sucked and the first half was awesome. So I think you can contribute that to the offense he was playing in and the quarterback situation and less so of his individual inconsistency. I think if he's in an offense that's this pass-heavy with the built-in chemistry of his college teammate throwing him the ball, which we've seen work for other teams in recent memory, I think that the upside is here and that Hollywood could finally be used in a way that he's supposed to be used in the NFL. The The idea of him with Kyler in this air raid offense excites me. I can't lie. I think he's a great guy for your best ball drafts. Absolutely. Um, yeah, let's talk Hollywood numbers. 58th overall in the draft, wide receiver 23 going 122 overall wide receiver 49 last year. I actually picked him up off the waiver wire. He went undrafted in one of my leagues and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, could we be sitting here this time next year saying how the fuck did nobody draft Hollywood Brown? And it ended up kind of looking that way. He finished wide receiver 22 on the season, 16 games, wide receiver 28 in points per game, which again, like that's not great, but you got to consider first half of the season. He was absolutely on fire um, Hollywood gave you a top 12 finish last year, 31% of his games, 10th highest top 12 rate. Uh, he wasn't a reliable wide receiver too, at only 12.5%, 47th ranked wide receiver too. But that overall put him in the top 24, 43% of his games, and that was the 20th ranked consistency metric as well. So again, you know he, he was better than I think a lot of people remember. That said, he busted outside of the top 36 in half his games, So there comes the boom and bust thing. But realistically, like he was getting you a 50-yard touchdown more often than not over almost a full-year stretch. So I believe in the talent, and I believe that this is an offense where he'll be a better fit. Also, he'll be the clear-cut first you know, pass-catching option for this team uh, while Hopkins is out. So I think he could get off to a monster start as well. AJ Green, I'm not touching him. He's not being drafted. 253 overall, wide receiver 90. 194 overall, wide receiver 69 last year. He actually finished the wide receiver 41, but in reality, that's like six points per game and just a lot of people getting injured. I'm not really impressed. He was 52 in points per game last year because he played 16 games. I'm just not interested. He's done. He's burnt toast. I don't want to talk about him. He didn't finish top 12 once last year. He gave you the 13th most consistent wide receiver 2 on the week. He was a top 24 receiver, 44th most. And he busted outside of the top 36, 62% of his games. No thanks. Uh, sayonara, AJ. I really think that this next guy should outsnap AJ and should most likely be the wide receiver 2 on this team until Hopkins returns. And his name is Rondell Moore. I wish I looked it up. I believe he was a second-round pick previously. I I I wish I knew if that was 100%. But Rondell Moore is a guy that you know we've seen make big plays in limited opportunity. His snap counts over the second half of the season really decreased, and he just kind of stopped again getting opportunities through this team. Cliff Kingsbury has made comments how he wants to keep Rondell more involved. Um, He wants to try and get him the ball in different situations, possibly lining him up out of the backfield. I think it's possible that we see Rondell Moore take a little bit of the third down pass catching work as sort of that third down running back kind of gadget weapon here. I don't see it being really as abundant as how Chase Edmonds was used there, but I think there's potential for him to get the ball more this year. And the guy is explosive. You just got to get the ball in his hands. He's one of those players. So I'm excited about his upside. I think he is worth a dart throw if you want to take him as one of the last picks in your fantasy draft. He's going 136 overall, wide receiver 57, and especially with no Hopkins the first six weeks, I think he could be a guy, you know, the first month of your fantasy season who really surprises people, if I had to guess. Um, Last year, not being touched in fantasy, he was a guy some people picked up for a couple weeks and then dropped because, again... Wasn't getting the snaps over the second half of the season. Played 14 games, missed the last three weeks due to injury. Uh, Wide receiver, 85 in points per game, so nothing special. Uh, Last year, he gave you one top 12 week. Um, He did not finish in the top 24 any other time. Um, so he busted outside of the top 36, 78% of his games. I just think, again, A.J. Green should see less targets. Rondell should see more. At least that's what Cliff Kingsbury would do if he was a good football coach. The jury is still out on whether that's an accurate statement or not. But Rondell Moore is the uh, second most talented receiver on this team when DeAndre Hopkins is not on the field. And I think that he should see at least a better opportunity this year. So he's a name to be very aware of. I think he's a lot better than AJ Green at their respective points in their careers. And Zach Ertz is the last guy we're going to break down here. And I'm in on Zach Ertz from a fantasy standpoint as well. My main reasoning, again, like from a PPR standpoint, from a vacated target standpoint, D-Hop not being here for the first six weeks, I think means Zach Ertz uh, has a lot of opportunity for target volume I equate it similarly to how Dalton Schultz is set up in Dallas this year as far as uh, high passing volume offense where they could be without Michael Gallup for the beginning of the season. Amari Cooper is gone. You know, I kind of view it similar as how Hopkins is out early in the season. Christian Kirk is gone. You know, it kind of makes sense. Ertz really had a great stretch here with the Cardinals last year after being traded from Philly. He's being drafted 98 overall tight end 10 this year. I think it's fair. Um, I think you're getting a discount because he had such a miserable start to the season through his first six weeks in Philadelphia. Um, he finished last year, the tight end five overall overall. Playing 17 games, but again, six games in Philly where he was splitting reps and seeing very low target volume. He was the tight end 11 in points per game last year. But listen to this. From week seven on, he was the tight end four overall and tight end six in points per game. And again, a lot of that came from passing volume, a high number of receptions. And part of that was the fact that DeAndre Hopkins was not on this team. That is, again, the situation for the first month and a half of this season. Ertz is a guy who could potentially crush the first six weeks of your season, and if you decide to trade him from there when Hopkins returns, it might not be the worst idea in the world either to see if you can capitalize on that hot start. Ertz finished top six last year 11.8%. That's only 23rd best. That's not great. He didn't have those boom weeks, but... He finished top 12 47%, which was the ninth most consistent rate at tight ends. And I think, again, first six weeks are going to tarnish those consistency metrics. Um, Top, excuse me, tight end two on the week, 23%, busted 29%. Almost all those games is his time as an eagle. I love Zach Ertz, but it just was not working out in the offense last year. Dallas Goddard had taken over as the tight end number one. And again, he was the tight end four in fantasy from week seven on last year. And I think there's an opportunity for him to still be solid in a very high pass volume offense. He actually did more after the catch last year in Arizona than he has in fucking eight years in Philadelphia it was kind of weird but I don't think he's done like I don't think he's old man Ertz at this point I think he showed that over the second half of last year and this is an offense that should be throwing the ball a lot so I think that there's an opportunity for Ertz to return on a 10th round draft pick for you that's it, guys. We have, uh, I, think, I think that was a good episode. I think we are done here. We've talked about the Cardinals enough. We are going to be doing the 49ers tomorrow, and like I have alluded to, that should be a fun one as well. We're going to talk Trey Lance. Um, so I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk tomorrow. Ramble on.